0: Christian White is an Australian author, screenwriter and producer whose award-winning first novel, the nail-biting suspense story The Nowhere Child, has already attracted a major screen deal.
1: Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com And now, here's our show.
0: Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Christian White talks about his latest psychological thriller Wild Place – which raises the question as old as time itself. Why do good people do bad things? And he talks about his screenwriting, including co-writing the hit Netflix show Clickbait, which went to number one in 41 countries. We've got a delightful giveaway. Lisa sherwood Faber's Sherlock Holmes spin-off, Case One, The Adventure of the Murdered Midwife. Before Sherlock Holmes became the world's greatest consulting detective, scandal rocked the Holmes family. Yep, that's right. Lisa knows all about what happened before Sherlock Holmes became Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock is called home from Eton by his father for a family emergency. Their mother is being accused of murder. It's a giveaway free for all. Details to be found in the show notes for this episode, details for this free downloadable giveaway can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com in the show notes for this Christian White episode. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content like hearing Christian's answers to the getting to know you five quick fire questions by becoming a Binge Reading on Patreon supporter for the cost of less than a cup of coffee a month. Details at patreon.com. Forward slash the joys of binge reading, but now here's Christian. Hello there, Christian, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us.
1: Hello. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for having me. It's exciting.
0: Now you're in Melbourne, aren't you? We'll just establish that for our listeners.
1: Yes, I'm in. I'm in Melbourne, This it's extraordinarily hot today. So yeah, it's, it's good. It's good that this doesn't have video because you'd see sweat stains and a sweaty <laughs> forehead, and I've got the aircon blasting. So, but yeah, I'm in. I'm in Melbourne.
0: <laughs> that's good. Look, your first novel, The Nowhere Child, is a nail biter. And you've already, you'd have you already attracted a major screen deal for that one. Now you've got to your third book, Wild Place, which is the one we're going to be talking about today. And that's just as hard to put down as the first one. You're oh, also you. the co-creator of a Netflix series called Clickbait, which went straight to number one in 40 countries. So you've obviously got a highly developed love of suspense. How did that develop, and where did you get it from?
1: Do you think? Yeah, you know, it took me a long, a long time to figure out that's what I wanted to to write. Strangely, you know, when I first got into writing, which was a million years ago, you know, I was I was trying to get paid as a writer for about fifteen years before it actually, you know, I could actually do it for a living. Uh, when I first started out, I wanted to write uh, comedy. You know, I fancy myself a comedy writer, and I tried it, and I just realised oh, I'm really, really bad at writing comedy. And so I tried all these sort of, um, you know, I really like horror, so I dabbled with horror and I sort of tried different genres and and weirdly it took me a long time to get around to that thriller, mystery, crime genre, mostly because I didn't think I was clever enough, strangely. I, I, I have always loved reading them, so it, it's sort of looking back, it's a bit of a no-brainer, but I thought, no, I don't think I can do it, I'm not clever enough. And then as soon as I sort of started dabbling and then and I, I realised, oh, actually, I'm kind of good at this. I'm, I was terrible at all these other things that I tried, but I'm kind of good at this. And then I leaned further and further in and then realised um, it was just my, it was just my space.
0: So how interesting that it took you quite a while to find that. And when you say you didn't feel clever enough, do, are you referring there to having to do lots of plot twists and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I, I always thought, um, you know, a good mystery you it, it needs a really great twist but the twist can't come out of nowhere it's got to be built in and it and it needs to keep audiences guessing and there needs to be twists and turns and i just thought oh i don't think my brain can do that and and what i realized was uh you know that the, the first my first drafts are always terrible but so much of what i do is going back and making it seem like i had all the answers from the beginning so it's really uh, i think i thought that you had to write it from Beginning to end, and as soon as I sort of just discarded that notion, it all it all sort of fell into place. It, you just, it, you know, I think it was. Sorry if I'm wrong about this, but I think it was P.T. Anderson, the director, who he when he was talking about writing, he talks about it as if you're ironing the, the sleeve of a shirt so you don't go, this is going to be hard to just do, you know, without the visual but you don't start from the shoulder, go right down to the wrist and be done with it, you sort of start at the shoulder, go a little bit down, then go back to the shoulder and go a little bit further and writing, I mean, that, that that's so spot on and that's so, that describes my process so well, so much of it is just building and building and building and making it seem like you're cleverer than you really are.
0: Look, it's interesting that you say that because um, I think writers do sometimes get that feeling when they're two-thirds or so into a book, they get that panicky feeling of, I don't know. I don't. I'm, this isn't good enough. I don't know what's supposed to be happening. They they almost pound themselves or punish themselves with, <sighs> about that feeling of uncertainty. But it sounds like you've learned to really just um, write it.
1: Yeah, my, my process is, and now I'm on this onto my third book, so it's it's really a process. Is that I will sit down, you know, before I start writing at all, I will come up with what I think is this ironclad plot. You know, it's really great. It's got these cool twists and turns, and then around halfway through. Every single time I realise that there's no way to say this that isn't really pretentious, but, you know, your characters do take on a mind of their own and a life of their own and you realise, usually I realise about halfway through, I've, I've got to know them in a way that now I know they won't do the things I want them to do in the second half. And at that at that time, I generally, I do two things. I Firstly, I always follow the character. That always beats the plot for me. If I've, I might have this really amazing scene I'm building to but you know I think characters are allowed to do stupid things because we all do stupid things but when when I'm reading a book or watching a show or something and a character does something so plot serving that you can you can you can see the writer's movements behind that you know be behind it and whenever that happens I completely emotionally disengage so I'm really about just following the character and, and generally they lead you to to, to very interesting and, and um, unexpected places and the other secret weapon I have is my wife some um, mm-hmm. I will always uh, you know I'll do a first draft and then I'll give it you I'll give it to her first even before my publishers and I'll say hey the ending is terrible can you come up with all the twists and just give me credit for it and that's what, what happened in my second book in particular there's I will obviously won't do spoilers, but there's a really, it was a very ambitious twist. I spent a long time trying to make that twist work and I I kind of reached a point where I was about to give up and that would mean missing deadlines. It would mean all everything falling apart, you know, and I, so I finally, after weeks, talked to some about it and, you know, she was, you know, I said, here's what I want to do and here's the problem. And she was quiet for probably 12 seconds and then she came up with all the answers. So really, she's definitely my my secret weapon. If we ever get divorced, my career will go down the tube.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's gorgeous. You seem to have also a fascination with the question of how well we know one another. Even in intimate relationships, people hold Deep secrets from those closest to them. And I wondered if that too was something that you'd grown up with somehow being aware of that, that there was a lot of stuff going on underneath that maybe they weren't coming clean about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I think on a subconscious level, I must have always feared this idea that, you know, those closest to us will be carrying some secret or 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 do something so huge that it will unpick your relationship and but i didn't realize that about myself until really i wrote three books about that very thing and even the tv show clickbait is about that you know i co-wrote a film called relic and even that is sort of goes into that territory and it's really funny i think that when you you know a lot when i'm writing i do i am aware of the themes and i do start with certain questions but only on a really surfacey level, generally all the themes just emerge naturally, all the true themes. And I really didn't think about it until, you know, the first book came out and people started to talk about, you know, those questions and, oh, you must be interested in that. And I thought, yeah, I guess I am. And now looking back, there are all these themes, these reoccurring themes that I think each of my three books by design, very different. They all very much feel, there's similar themes tying them all together and I think that 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 was completely subconscious but clearly it's a deep it's a deep fear I have and I think it's because I mean really I can't think of anything worse if a serial killer came in and killed me yes that would be horrible of course but what if you found out you know your your your, your wife had killed someone or your child you know it, it's this it's this deep deep fear because I think you have to I think there are sort of we set we set up these sort of necessary truths in life, you know, where where you you have an idea of your parents and they have to be your idea of it. Otherwise, it's a necessary truth. When you find out that's not the case, it just it, it Life can unravel very quickly, and I guess that's that's very scary. Although, having said that, I've not really—it's not like that happened to me. I'm not—I I don't know what I'm working through, but clearly, <laughs> clearly, clearly, there's something going on.
0: Yeah, talking about themes, there is also a fascination with perhaps the darker side. I mean, uh, the Nowhere Child deals with cult religions, and there's quite a sinister thing going on there, and then. With Wild Place, you start with a quote about Satan and a TV clip about a mother watching devil work some people involved in devil worship. And yeah. I kind of got, got a feeling you might have been quite fascinated by those kinds of themes as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, well, in both of those cases, you know, with the Nowhere Child, it, you know, it, it was Pentecostal snake handling, this, yeah. this this weird real life really you know, I I, I the the church was fictional in the book, but it was it was cobbled together from real churches, and actually, I sort of made it less extreme than real life because it seemed so ridiculous. But yeah, there are these people who worship God by handling snakes and scorpions and drinking poison, and that that those sort of those sort of uh, little cults and little sects and little groups of people who believe something so extreme have always really always fascinated me. So I knew very early on, I knew. I have. I kind of. I read a lot, and I, I listen to a lot, and watch a lot. And these little sort of things just stick uh, stick to my brain. Pentecostal snake handling was one. I always knew that eventually I would write about it, but I didn't know where. And satanic panic is something I've always been interested in. Well, for a very long time, which is you know what Wild Place explores. And I first kind of became aware of that. That there's your listeners might be aware of this, but there was the West Memphis three, who were these three teenagers who got. Uh, charged and sentenced with murder and spent years and years and years in jail and really it was all based on the sort of music they listened to the kind of clothes they wear and they wore and and in the late 80s and early 90s satanic panic was a real thing people were genuinely concerned that there were these roaming bands of you know these cults out there that are going to kidnap children and you know if you play heavy metal records backwards it has a secret message and there's not a single shred of evidence for any of this but it was this sort of mass hysteria and and it's actually funny with satanic panic I, i've had that in my mind for a very long time but i whenever i tried to do anything it felt it felt sort of silly like i couldn't find a way in it was so silly and it wasn't until the pandemic hit that i kind of I kind of began to understand it because there are uh, really, you know, anti-vaxxers today and QAnon and things like this. It's sort of this natural progression of satanic panic. They're these really compelling conspiracy theories with usually next to no evidence or, or, you know, usually the way they'll work is they'll take three or four facts and then they'll string, you know, a narrative around those facts. And and then I suddenly started to kind of, well, I think a lot of us had to, it was in our face a lot of us suddenly had people that were close to us sharing these things on social media and suddenly i found myself in this weird position where i was trying to well first i got into art fights online fights with people about it which was you know i didn't listen to them they didn't listen to me but then i really forced myself to try to empathize with them and try to get why is it why are you thinking this what you know what is this based on and i kind of had to think about you know i think when we're scared and we're outraged and we're, we're angry our standards of evidence sort of drop, you know, so we think we've got something to fear. So it's easy to fear things that aren't necessarily there. And suddenly I I understood satanic panic a bit better. So, uh, you know, Wild Place is set in 1989 and it's about, satanic panic, but in a way, I got to sort of explore what that side of COVID and that side of the pandemic as well. So God knows if I answered your question, I feel like I've been talking for a long time. (laughs) In there somewhere, hopefully (laughs) there's an answer.
0: (laughs) The snake part of it, there was quite a lot of really detailed tactile stuff about the snakes. Mm -hmm. And even the way that they kind of bred them in in sheds and things like that. Did you actually get a chance to go to any of those places? Or was that...
1: No, no, well, I went... you know, you huge chunk of the book is uh, set in Kentucky and, I, and I've been to Kentucky and spent some time there and, you know, travel there. So a, a lot of that I could use, but I never went to a church service. I don't, they might've let me, in. I'm sure if I really tried, I could do it, but I, I'm pretty squeamish and I'm also an animal lover and I feel like uh, it would not be good for me. So what I did was I, you know, I did a lot of research just online. You can, you can watch these services and they're,
0: Oh, wow! Ken, it's strange because they're
1: not—they're not like you'd expect either. I—you I, sort of picture dimly lit, you know, people in cloaks and things like that. But it's just these really brightly lit community centers, and and there's they're just stomping and dancing around, and it's, there's some pretty extreme stuff. But I also interviewed a couple of people about who hadn't left because a lot of it's about what happens if you're in a community where everyone believes this thing and and you don't. You know, you fall out of it. The main, the central family is sort of going through this where you know, Jack, the husband, he stopped believing, but his wife still believes and there's this, there's this great tension there. And so a lot of the research I did was about people who had left religions and how they felt afterwards. You know, I spoke to someone um, who was an ex-Jehovah's Witness and her story was really, I mean, really sad, you know, because their their, their, their religion dictates that they that they shun people who leave the church and all this sort of stuff. And so a lot of it I could kind of tie back into snake handling, even though it was, you know, it was it was based on some other religions as well.
0: Yes, yes. We've mentioned clickbait and I was interested because you are very, very productive in both film and your novels. You, you seem to be managing to work on both pretty much, I don't know if you do a sort of, team tag thing where you work on a book and then a movie but which came first the directing or the writing
1: the um so I think it was about uh, I'm trying to think of the year maybe 2012 or something I'd been trying to be a writer for a very very long time but just been you know doing jobs on the side it was and it was always going to be novel I always wanted to write novels and then I got fired from my job which is a whole nother story because and, and I'm, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a creepy person, but I did used to work as a video editor for adult films, so, <laughs> so it's, which is a whole nother podcast. Uh, but I got fired from there, which, which is an embarrassing, quickly tell you, basically what happened is I, there was an old clock in, clock out system and I abused it. I stole time and I got fired. I'm not proud of it. But all of a sudden I found myself in this sort of crossroads position and I... You know, we had this dream of being a writer for so long, and I'd always wanted to write novels. But I thought, well, screenwriting feels like I'll do quotation marks around. There's a more realistic, you know a- a area to go into. So i that's when I went and studied screenwriting. And then from there, I did both. And I started to, you know, Clickbait only came out in uh, 2020, I think, or 2021. My time has no yeah, meaning it was anymore. Late,
0: I think it was mid-last year.
1: God, yeah, yeah it, was only, it wasn't only. It was even a year ago. It only came out last year, but it had been developing since... We, we started developing develop that back in sort of 2015. So I, I had those... had a few sort of irons in the fire, but nothing... I, I was sort of juggling that and and quietly writing these manuscripts on the side. You know, The Nowhere Child was... The fifth manuscript I tried to write, the second one I finished, and the first one I showed anyone—it was the first one that was anywhere near good enough to show anyone. So I was just sort of really juggling both for those that period of time, and they really, the novel just won. So that so I uh, the novel uh, I won the VPLA's so Victoria Premier's Award for unpublished manuscript. It's a mouthful, and then I got a publishing deal for Nowhere Child, and and very short time later. I think it was, I was just come out, just finished The Wife and the Widow, my second book, and clickbait got greenlit. So it was really, it was very, very close. And yeah, now I've just been juggling both. And it is a bit like you you say, you kind of just go from one to the other, but it never feels... it's strange it never feels like extra work because it's so there are a lot of similarities it's just sort of a it's different enough to feel refreshing you know you you never feel like uh, you know occasionally there's there's pressure with deadlines and everything but they're they're sort of different beasts and I I mean I just love the craft of writing so much and I'm so happy that I just get to do it with my life. It's all it's all I have to do. So I also find it very difficult to say no to things. I've only just started saying no to things to manage my time a bit better, but for the most part I yeah, I just sort of jump between the two.
0: Now you mentioned relic and and that's another one an interesting one because in a way you tackle something that's slightly different from the things we've been talking about. That one was described by somebody as the field red movie of the year and that came out <laughs> in 2020 yeah. and, and it's a, a horror movie slash drama about a woman who's sinking into Alzheimer's yeah now that's probably it seems to me feels to me like something quite different from the rest of the stuff you've been doing
1: yeah I mean sort of there are there are similarities you know so much of the nowhere child. Came about from my. I had this sort of real interest in memory and how memory works because my nan, she's passed away now. She just died last year. She was a hundred years old, so you know. But for the last sort of ten years of her life, she had dementia. So, which led to this sort of you know fascination I had with memory and how it works, and that's basically what Relic is about. And I co-wrote that movie with the director Natalie James, and she was her grandma was going through the same thing. So it was is this sort of way to to sort of to purge all those weird yeah. feelings of dread because yeah. it's an awful thing there are so many layers that film follows three generations of women you've got the grandma and the mum and the daughter and there are so many layers to it because as the youngest when you're when your grandmother's going through something not only is it horrific but you also think oh my parent might go through that next and then I might go through it you know so it's a really scary thing so it was sort of a way to process all that And it's also you know, it's a it's a horror as well. So it's it, it's we've imagined what if dementia was a monster, basically. But there are still you know similar themes. It's about it's about sort of someone you you know you 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 think you know changing and and not being that you know. Yeah. So there's there's yeah. definitely those there's definitely those ties in it.
0: We're taking a short break, and we'll be back with Christian White in a few minutes. If you love historical mystery series, then Dangerous Desire's book number 10 in Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood, California series is published this week at a special launch price of $1.99. It focuses on the story of the senator that's been there through the whole series, Senator Hector DeVille. He wrong-footed himself and thought it would be lost to history. But now this popular senator must escape extortion before the truth ruins him. Dangerous Desires, available from March 15 at your favourite digital bookstore. Special launch price for a limited time. And now, here we are back with Christian White on Joys of Binge Reading. Turning away from the specific books and talking a little of your wider career, I think you've been incredibly generous the way that you've been so honest and upfront about how long you worked at it. And it will give other beginner writers or even midlife writers quite a lot of um, hope to hear that, you know, you just had to keep on going like that. But tell us a bit about the pre-life before you managed to become a full-time writer and how those things might have contributed to your writing today, how the
1: experiences you had helped with what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, well, I decided I wanted to be a writer. I was about 17 and I'd written a short story or something in my literature class and the teacher read it out. And I thought, oh yeah, maybe I could do this. This is a cool thing. And I, at that age, I thought, well, here's the plan. I will become a best-selling author by 25 years old. You know, I'm 17, <laughs> that'll be easy. You know. It's ages away. <laughs> oh, it's miles away, you know. And I think one of my favourite authors, Alex Garland, I think he was sort of 26 or 27 when his first book was published. although ah, I'll beat him by a couple of years. And then 25 arrived and, you know, surprisingly enough, I wasn't a best-selling novelist. Uh, and then I adjusted it. I said, okay, well, if I get to 30 and then I got to 30 and it didn't happen. And then somewhere between 30 and 37 which is what how old I was when I got published this I guess this kind of image came to me where I could sort of see myself in my 90s mid-90s and I've just died and my grandkids are cleaning out my little assisted living unit and they find all this pile of sort of dusty (laughs) unpublished manuscripts you know and 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 I that was so crystal clear in my head and I thought oh well that's fine that's 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 okay if that's my fate. Because as I say, I really love the craft. It's not something, it's not, I mean, there are definitely difficult things about it, but it's, I love the process. So I sort of thought, okay, let's just focus on writing rather than focusing on being a writer. And really that's when everything began to change after that. But in the the meantime, I worked, God, I worked, you know, all these weird jobs. I, I was, I drove a golf cart around a golf course, Selling sandwiches. I picked apples. I worked for Coca Cola. There's a free, you know, if on the side of a bottle of Coke, there's a free, a free call number that you call up if you want to just yell at someone. I was that person getting yelled (laughs) at. I edited adult films. I printed T-shirts. I did all this stuff and. All of that time, I would just find these little moments to to write. It was really, it was my love and my passion and my hobby. And, you know, I, uh, my now wife, we, when we started dating, we were this, she's in the same boat. She was this creative person and we sort of both understood that that's what was important to us. And and we really thought, well, it's a very good chance we'll just be poor forever, but we'll do these things on the side, you know. And, and I think it's a big part of it. You know, I've, I've talked to some people who were, who were, who are trying to get into the field and I think that you really need to love it you really need to love it and keep at it and ignore a lot of the voices as well I think you know the amount of people who said to me with utmost confidence confidence they would say Well, you can't make a living writing books. You know, you can't do that. You just can't. And and I would believe it. And then I would think, well, I'll just write books anyway. And if I don't make a living, you know, what's the difference? And you can make a living. You can make a very good living writing books. It's this, but there's these voices, these very confident voices that you you have to block out. Luckily, my family were very supportive. Although, after my publishing deal, my brother Jamie said to me. Oh, I've got, I've got to apologize. And I said, why? And he said, Oh, me and the family have been bitching about you for years, saying, when are you going to get a real job? What's he doing with his life? Uh and, but luckily they didn't they never said it to my face, which I'm very, very thankful for.
0: <laughs> I bet they are too now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's lovely. Look, turning to Christian as reader, because this is the joys of binge reading. We're coming to the end of our time. Um We like to give people some thoughts, and this is very much a popular fiction show. I'm very much into popular fiction that people read for their relaxation or entertainment. Mm. Um, So I know you probably read very widely, but in that field of more popular fiction, what would you be reading now and what would you like to recommend to others?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the same. I uh, I love airport fiction. That's sort of what I wanted to, very early I wanted to, you know, commercial is sort of a dirty word sometimes but i yeah. I, I i love commercial books it's, it has an audience you know so what am i what was well, some stuff i've just finished uh, anything by jp pomare is incredible and he's oh. a native for you guys he's yeah. uh, he's he, he, I, I love anything he does anna downs is this really exciting new australian writer she's got two books out she brought them both out during the pandemic which sucked. Uh, but, you know, but, but she's, she, they're really, really amazing books. And some of my favorite, you know, I'm a big Stephen King fan. Yes. Um, I, a Gillian Flynn fan as well. She's got, she's really good crime, got really good crime stuff. Now, I'm super late to the party on this. So people will roll their eyes, but I've only just discovered Harlan Coburn, who I love. Oh, yeah. Yep. Two yep. amazing yep. crime writers. Yes, um, yes. And, and then, yeah, but and my favorite book in the well, I shouldn't say that. One of my favorite books in the whole world, I get very excited, is *The Beach* by Alex Garland. They made a very mediocre film out of it in the nineties, but the or maybe early two thousands. But the original book is it's this incredibly brilliant beach read. Who else? Who have I missed? Haruki Murakami is is really really literary fiction. Very you know very wonderful and easy to read as well hopefully there's something in there
0: yeah no fabulous I haven't ever heard of the beach when you said the beach I was thinking Neville shoot but he had something with beach in a title I think oh yeah what what I, I know what
1: you. I know what you're can't thinking can't about I
0: remember which one but yeah 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 well look that's fantastic so look perhaps just now looking down back down the tunnel of time if you were doing it all over again is there, is there anything you do differently
1: yeah I, I I had for me you know Productivity was never an issue. I was I could always I didn't get I don't get writer's block and I could always write. But my huge issue was showing anyone my work. I, I was so I genuinely I think I, I wasted probably a decade. I would write things and I would either finish them or 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 just not write the last chapter and think and, and you know and then I'd put put it away and not look at it and not show anyone. And I think looking back, part of that was. I think part of it was fear of failure, of course, but it was also if I didn't show anyone my work, I could hold on to the fantasy that one day I could I will be a writer, you know? And of course that's that doesn't work that way. So I think that I was sort of obsessed with trying to make everything perfect before I sent it off. And I, I would just, if I could go back, I just wouldn't wouldn't do that. I would I would share my work earlier and I would also I got, the way I got my two big breaks on TV and film were through competitions, you know, so I, I, and I had a very cynical view of competitions for a long time, I, I, they almost felt like a waste, I don't know why, but there's, I cannot recommend them enough, if you're a writer and you want to get yourself out there, simply by being shortlisted sometimes, it, it allows you to skip a few steps you know and I was lucky enough to win a couple of uh, a screenwriting comp and a, and, a, and a book writing comp and that really just allowed me to skip several steps and so I think I'd focus on that sort of stuff more and just just click send on that email. You know, you you just you you're, you're tinkering on something. You want to send it to an to a to an agent or a publisher or a producer, and you just tinker with it forever, and you can't click send. You know, I would just go back and click the goddamn button and just do it because it it was just I wasted a lot of time not just not letting anyone in. So that's what I that's what I do different.
0: It's <laughs> very interesting, I guess. Yeah, as you say, maybe that fear that. If you did send it to them, they'd tell you, "Oh, it's crap," and you'd be tempted to believe them. Or
1: something. exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's the thing. And and the thing is, when you when you are a writer, you do have to get used to rejection. You've got to earn your stripes. You know, you got to get a few rejections. So it's it helps. You know, you, you kind of have to do it. So I don't know. It just even that I was terrified of getting. If I got you know one rejection, and I did get rejections with certain things, and It's hard not to let it get you down. It's really hard, but you just have to kick it aside and keep going. Yeah.
0: yeah. You mentioned your wife is a creative as well. What does she, what's her area of uh, interest?
1: Well, she she was a director for a long time, a filmmaker for a long time, but we actually, recently she's dipped her toe into the writing world. We co-wrote, a novella for Audible called Still House. Yeah, we nearly, we nearly got divorced in the middle of it. And we are actually writing a second novella as well at the minute. So yeah, it's a which was really interesting because like I like I said earlier, we she plays such a huge part in my creative process. So it was a no-brainer for me to go, to, you know, to do with that. And I'd done one book, I'd done one novella with Audible called Second Skin, a little horror novella. And they said, you know, do you want to do another one? And I said, "I'll, you know, my wife and I, if we if we can both do one, absolutely." And we did this. Yeah, still house, which was it's a really really tight little horror story um, uh, told from the perspective, alternating perspectives, a husband and wife, husband and wife. And we wrote each, you know, we wrote the husband and wife chapters, and yeah, and we're writing another one now. So she'll, I, I have a prediction. She would hate me for saying this, but I think in about five years she will everyone will know her name she, she's she's working on a book at the minute and yeah she's a brilliant brilliant writer oh
0: that's fantastic An extra little i hadn't picked up on that so audible commission that directly from you
1: yeah yeah audible are doing audible originals they're called and yeah. actually jp pomare has done a couple i think he's done at least one or two anyway and yeah they do they're 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 these great sort of you know, the novellas, so they're about half the length of a novel, yeah. but you listen to them in about three and a half hours, four hours, and they're these great types, and it, it was a, a great opportunity to, to use some. you know, when I get an idea, it usually very early on I slot it into, oh, well, this will make a good film or a good show or a good book, where I had a few ideas that were just too small for that, you know, and I, I had this, an idea for a long time about a, you know, a man whose wife Dies under mysterious circumstances. Then years later, this little girl comes into his life and says, "Oh, I'm the reincarnated spirit of your of your wife, and she was murdered." You know, I had this, I had that hook in my mind, but I knew it wasn't big enough for a novel, and I didn't quite know where it was. And then Audible approached me, and I just suddenly felt, "Oh, that's perfect that that little you know forty thousand word ish area. That's perfect for those smaller um smaller ideas. So yeah, it's a good space. There's some good stuff on there. Very
0: cool. Very cool. Look, tell us what's next for you, looking ahead for the next 12 months and even looking back a little bit, have you been too badly affected by COVID?
1: I've been very, very lucky with COVID. I, I could just continue, uh, you know, clickbait got stalled and everything, but but generally we I could just continue with work, which was I was very, very fortunate. I have a film called Apartment 7A getting shot in London in March, which and, is good, and, and I'm also working on a couple of things, but generally... Book four is going to be my main focus this year. I'm hoping to have a draft done by maybe October-ish, but we'll, but we'll see. But we'll see. It's already. It's nearly Feb already. So who knows?
0: And has that one got a name yet?
1: No, no. It's a very, very early stages. At, at, yeah, yes. it hasn't got. In my this will definitely change. But my the document I'm looking at it now. It's the heading I've given it is big quiet. So I think that will definitely <laughs> change. Uh, that's a bit of a hint about what's in it, but but yeah, I I it, the t- I'm really bad at titles. Usually they come very very late or someone else comes up with them. You know, the original title for The Nowhere Child was Decay Theory, which I thought was brilliant and everyone else in the, on the planet thought was terrible. And then my UK publisher came up, uh, the HarperCollins came up with The Nowhere Child. You know, so so <laughs> I'll probably, you know, and actually the original title for Wild Place was Neighbourhood Watch, which was <laughs> really not quite as sexy as Wild Place. So, yeah, that that's not my area of expertise.
0: One last question does come to mind, um, apart from the penultimate one about contacting you. It was int- the location, you know, living in Australia, but your novels have a very, the ones that, Kentucky, for example, comes through very, very strongly. Do you consciously try and set them internationally or do you like to be able to put them in to Australia? Where is this fourth one going to be located?
1: Yeah, the, the fourth one, the fourth one so far is just in sort of this, it could be anywhere so far. It hasn't really, yeah. I haven't really fleshed out that setting, but generally, yeah, generally it will come around pretty early, the setting, and it's usually dictated by story. You know, I, with the Nowhere Child, I knew snake handling only happens in a handful of states in the American South, so it sort of, I knew it would, and I'd spent time in Kentucky, so it felt right. And actually, Second Skin, the first novella I did, was commissioned by US Audible, so it's set in America. But generally, yeah, generally it'll be dictated by the plot. You know, there's very early days, but with Book 4, you know, maybe when you read it, this will be gone, but who knows? But there's this area I'm really interested in in, um, in West Virginia in America, and it's called the, the radio, the National Radio Quiet Zone. And basically, it's this huge area where they've got this observatory and they do research, space research, or milit- gather military intelligence if the urban legends are true. But basically, it's this huge area that because their telescope is so sensitive, you're, there's, you're not allowed to have any electronic devices, so no mobile phones, no Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth, and it's become this area for, there are these group of people who believe they suffer, you know, so far it, it seems, the research seems to be that it's this isn't real, it's a psychological disorder, but I don't know, uh, but there's people who suffer um migraines and they get nausea they believe to do with uh wi-fi signals and all of the elect. so it's become this little haven for these people this little melting pot of so i'm kind of wanting to do something around that and i'll either that'll either take me to west virginia or i will you know do a fictionalized version in australia maybe i'm not quite sure yet but yeah, generally it will be driven by plot and and No, clickbait was an American. We shot it in Australia, but it was an American show, so it was set in America. And I, I know I love setting things in America. As someone who's grown up on American pop culture, all you know, all my favourite books and movies and and music are all American, and it feels a bit like when you write something set in America, it feels a little bit like. You know, Narnia. Everything's a little bit bigger, and you know, everything's a little bit more colourful, and it's this really fun world. I I get over to the states as, as much as I can. I it's one of my yeah, love it over there. So it's really always a pleasure to set something there.
0: That's lovely. So what were you doing in Kentucky?
1: I I went on this a uh, family road trip, the very Griswoldian uh, family road trip from all up and down America. My sister was uh, for a long time married to an American and lived in Pennsylvania, so we went and stayed with her and did this huge trip and, we, you know, one of the things is we went through Kentucky and it was just, it, it struck me on a couple of levels. It was this, you'd get there and you'd, you'd go through these small towns and everyone was so lovely and you'd think, this place is beautiful, the scenery is stunning, but we probably shouldn't stay here after dark. You know, there's <laughs> sort of there's a great tension in some of those, not all of it, you know, but just certain areas and and the people we met were so wonderful and there was also this place called mammoth caves where or mammoth cave which was this it's just a network of of caves and tunnels and I, I was just I just was obsessed with it I loved it so much so I kind of I sort of fell in love with it as a place as, as Kentucky in general so I, I knew I knew I wanted to yeah set something back okay. set something there
0: yeah, that's lovely. Well, look, we have come to the end of our time together. So tell me, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and listeners and where can they find you online?
1: Yes, I do. Absolutely. If you go to christian-white.com, uh, it's my website, and you can contact me through there. I reply to every single email I get it does take me a very long time now but I you know that I get a few now which is wonderful but it does take me a very long time but please yeah you know if you, any of you, any of your listeners want to reach out by all means if with questions or anything I'm very uh, contactable I've gone off social media that was I went off last year just because you know uh, I just had to for my mental health but that's the best way to find me
0: that's wonderful Christian we'll have all of those links in the show notes for this episode plus the things that we haven't talked in detail about like your audio books I'll find the links for those as well oh great that's fabulous thanks so much for being with us
1: oh no worries thank you so much for having with me having me
0: really enjoyed it Next week on The Joys of Binge Reading, we'll have USA Today and Amazon bestselling author Kyra Ruder, who was a highly successful marketing entrepreneur before she set her mind to writing spine-chilling psychological thrillers that dig beneath the surface of seemingly perfect lives. And don't forget, links to this show and all the things we've talked about can be found on the Binge Reading website thejoysofbingereading.com and that's where you'll also find links to Binge Reading on Patreon, the gateway to exclusive bonus content. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can be sure not to miss out on next week's episode. And if you'd like to go that extra mile in offering us support, check out Binge Reading on Patreon. Until next time and... Happy reading.